Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the novel Oliver Twist. In England, in 1837, when Victoria came to the throne, it signaled the dawn of the Victorian era. It was a period of relative domestic peace with few international conflicts. Tranquility and stability lasted, and in 1851, the Great Exhibition was staged in London, consolidating the achievements of the Queen's reign and establishing England's position as the leading power in the world. Charles Dickens was a rising star on the literary scene at the time. He had established his reputation with the publication of his novel The Pickwick Papers. In that founding year of the Victorian era, 1837, Dickens began writing a serialized novel for the monthly magazine Bentley's Miscellany. The two-year-long series later became his novel Oliver Twist. This book tells the story of an orphan raised in an abusive workhouse who later escapes to London. His name is Oliver Twist. In the city, Oliver chances upon a group of thieves who want to use him as an accomplice. In their company, he suffers many hardships. Finally, Good Samaritans come to his aid and rescue him, and Oliver discovers the true circumstances of his birth. In Oliver, Dickens created a tragic but kind-hearted protagonist who won the love and sympathy of countless readers. In telling Oliver's tale, Dickens also reveals the darkness and injustices common in English society at the time, especially when it comes to treating the underclasses. Although Victorian England is remembered today as a powerful state, Dickens' writing presents the era as, in equal parts, good and evil. Under the same sun, the palatial estates of the wealthy sat beside the filthy slums of the poor. At any moment, both the upstanding and the wretched could be on their way up to heaven or on a descent toward the gates of hell. Dickens was born in 1812 in the town of Portsmouth in the southeast of England. There, his father worked as a minor clerk at the Navy Pay Office. In 1823, the family moved to London, but their finances were in dire straits. The entire family of eight adults and children lived in a cramped little shack in Camden, a district in North London. Their situation was so grave that by the start of the following year, Dickens' father was sent to the Marshalsea debtors' prison, a working punishment for owing money. The family moved there with him, but not Dickens. He remained in London. Two weeks before his father was taken away, Dickens had entered Warren's blacking warehouse near the Hungerford Stairs on the Thames. There he was put to work as a child laborer. He toiled twelve hours a day, sticking labels on bottles of shoe polish. Through this personal experience, he was able to easily empathize with the misfortunes of helpless and oppressed children suffering a similar plight. He gained first-hand experience of the filth and corruption in the underbelly of London. This would later inform his writing, providing him with a wealth of creative material for his future career as a writer. Over almost two centuries, Oliver Twist has withstood the test of time. The book has become one of the world's most highly celebrated English-language novels. It continues to be loved by countless readers to this day. In this bookie, we will explain Oliver Twist's significant and timeless appeal in three parts. Part 1 introduces Oliver's traumatic early life as a workhouse apprentice and at an undertaker's premises. 
This part introduces the welfare system used in England at the time to support the poor. Part 2 recounts how Oliver accidentally ventures into a den of thieves after arriving in London. Along the way we will also analyze Dickens' vivid depictions of London's underbelly. Finally, Part 3 unravels the mystery surrounding Oliver's birth and briefly discusses aspects of weakness in the novel. The novel's protagonist is Oliver Twist. He was born in a workhouse located in a market town near London. Before Oliver was born, his mother was found collapsed in the street. She had walked such a long way that she wore through the soles of her shoes. The overseer of the poor in the parish found her and sent her to a workhouse. Unfortunately, she dies immediately after Oliver is born, leaving no clues to his father's identity. As such, Oliver is adopted as a workhouse orphan. The parish official responsible for the surnames of adopted children is called Mr. Bumble. He simply chooses names in alphabetical order. Oliver's predecessor was named with an S, Swubble, so Oliver is assigned T and becomes Oliver Twist. Along with 20 to 30 other orphans, Oliver is placed in the care of Mrs. Mann. She is a woman with no compassion for the children in her charge. Her only interest in the job is that it pays her an allowance of seven and a half pence per week for every child. She hoards most of this money for herself, providing only a meager share for the children. As a result, they are underfed, malnourished, and dressed in rags. She is neglectful too, carelessly leaving the children exposed to dangers in the workhouse, such as being burned, accidentally smothered, or falling from a height. Under these harsh conditions, it's a miracle young Oliver survives to the age of nine. Food in the workhouse is free for children up to the age of nine. After his birthday, Oliver must start to learn a trade to pay his way. He is given the task of picking oakum, separating the fibers of tarred rope. The workhouse authorities describe it as an apprenticeship, but, in fact, Oliver is a child laborer. The work is not difficult, but it is backbreaking, and children start at 6 a.m. every morning. For all their hard work, there is little food. Only a small bowl of porridge is served for every meal, and only on special occasions can they get extra two and a quarter ounces of bread. Unsurprisingly, the working children are starving. After each meal, still desperately hungry, they scrape their bowls with their spoons until they shine. Then they suck their fingers, still hoping to find any stray splashes of spilled porridge. Finally, one of the children workers has had enough of the crushing routine, and he has a stern and terrible thought. He hints to a friend that a night may come when he will be so desperate that if he is not given an extra daily ration of porridge, he will eat the small child who sleeps in the next bunk. The other children are terrified when they hear this. They decide to draw lots, and the one who draws the shortest straw will go up to the kitchen master and ask for more porridge. As it turns out, Oliver picks the shortest straw. At the end of their dinner, as agreed, Oliver leaves his place and approaches the head of the kitchen. He asks for a second serving. The cook is so shocked by Oliver's request that he alerts the workhouse board of directors. The board considers Oliver's completely reasonable request as a rebellion. They denounce Oliver as ungrateful and degenerate. As a result, Oliver not only fails to get more food but receives a beating and is locked up for a week. Worse still, 
the workhouse authorities now believe he is a troublemaker. They decide to send him away and post a notice offering five pounds to reward anyone who will take him in. With some further twists in the story, Oliver ends up with Mr. Sourberry, a maker of coffins and the local undertaker. Oliver becomes his apprentice, and the association turns out to be no better than his experience in the workhouse. To cut his costs, Sourberry only provides Oliver with stale leftovers. For sleeping quarters, Oliver is allotted a cramped space under the shop counter. And, to make matters even worse, Noah, a fellow apprentice, takes pleasure in bullying Oliver. About a month after Oliver's arrival at the undertaker's, Sourberry finds that Oliver is an excellent fit for the funerary business. And Oliver's circumstances finally begin to take a turn for the better. Mr. Sourberry notices that Oliver has an angelic face tainted with sadness. Oliver's combination of charm and melancholy is the perfect look, ideally suited for the funerals of children who have tragically passed away. Oliver then transitions from being an undertaker's apprentice to becoming a professional mourner. Now, not only is he dressed in finer clothes than his enemy, Noah, but he also starts to get more attention and praise from Mr. Sourberry. Oliver's elevated status at the undertaker's business starts to cause resentment, both from Sourberry's wife and Charlotte, his maid, and, needless to say, from Noah, formerly the senior apprentice. One morning at breakfast, in a fit of jealousy, Noah launches into a personal attack on Oliver's dead mother. Noah calls her a regular write-down bad pun and claims that she was lucky to have died, or else she would have been forced into hard labor, exiled, or hanged. Enraged, Oliver flips over the table and chairs. He gets Noah by the throat and proceeds to choke him, knocking him to the ground. Terrified, Noah cries out, calling on Charlotte and Mrs. Sourberry. The three of them gang up on Oliver and give him a severe beating. Then, they lock him in the coal cellar and summon Mr. Bumble, the parish official who was in charge of disciplining Oliver back at the workhouse. After Mr. Sourberry returns home, Noah lies about what happened, backed up by Mrs. Sourberry in Charlotte. He claims Oliver attacked him and tried to kill him. When Mr. Bumble hears the vicious accusations, he calls Oliver a savage, and Mr. Sourberry gives Oliver another sound beating. That night, consumed with rage and grief, Oliver packs a few items of clothing. At dawn the following day, he sneaks his way out of Mr. Sourberry's place and decides to head for London, nearly 70 miles from where he is. With only a crust of bread and a penny for provisions, he cannot afford to get a lift or to buy supplies, and in a couple of days, he is so hungry he can hardly walk. However, he has some good fortune when a kindly toll collector and an old lady provide him with some food. The nourishment helps restore Oliver's vigor. After seven days on the road, Oliver arrives at Barnet on the outskirts of London. There he encounters a ragged teenager named Jack Dawkins. Dawkins befriends Oliver and announces that he is also known as the Artful Dodger. When he learns that Oliver has been walking for seven days solid with hardly any food or rest, he treats him to a feast and offers him somewhere to stay. Overjoyed, Oliver follows Jack onto the streets of London that very night. These were Oliver's experiences at the workhouse and the undertakers as Dickens recounted them. Through these evocations of the young orphan's early life, 
Dickens exposed the hypocrisy of the English welfare and charity systems in the Victorian era. Next, we will consider these social systems more closely and learn about their intrinsic problems. An important backdrop to the publication of Oliver Twist was the introduction of a new poor law. In 1601, the Elizabethan Poor Law for Poverty Relief, known as the Old Poor Law, was enacted in England. The law stipulated that the poor should be taken care of by the local parish, so they established workhouses across the country to help and provide shelter for those in need. They would divide these paupers into three categories, orphans, those who were unable to work, and young people without a secure livelihood. Through the rule of law, the parishes continued the tradition of Christian charity, traditionally provided by the church since the Middle Ages. They considered helping the needy to be a sacred duty, and they viewed the poor as objects worthy of compassion and relief rather than a burden on society. However, English attitudes toward the poor began to change in response to the enclosure movement and the Industrial Revolution. The former allowed landowners to occupy common land, robbing many peasants of grazing rights and livelihoods. The new methods of industrial production put many craftspeople out of business. With these two factors combined together, the number of poor people in England increased dramatically. At around this time, the English economist Thomas Malthus proposed an influential theory of population. His theory fueled bourgeois resentment of the poor. According to Malthus, crop growth is linear, whereas population growth is exponential. Consequently, increasing food production cannot keep pace with population growth. As the population gets too big, deaths will be inevitable. In the view of the more affluent and privileged bourgeoisie, the poor's hunger can never be satisfied. When they gain even a little bit of comfort, they produce children, simply bringing more mouths to feed to this society. In other words, they perceive the poor as a burden on society. As such, the representatives of bourgeois society concluded that the ultimate solution to the poverty problem was not social support but instead to cut down the poor population and curb their tendency to procreate. On the basis of Malthus's theory, in 1832, a royal commission was set up. Its aim was, supposedly, to investigate shortcomings in the implementation of the old poor law. But, in fact, the true goal of the commission was to introduce new legislation more closely aligned with bourgeois interests. This new poor law became a statute in 1834. It reduced government expenditure on poverty relief and promoted poor people's self-reliance. And in turn, the function of workhouses gradually changed from providing help and support for poor people to punishing them for being poor. Dickens wrote Oliver Twist shortly after the new poor law came into effect. Before writing the novel, Dickens spent two years as a journalist for The True Sun and the Mirror, focusing his reporting on the reformed welfare system. The novel's contemporary picture of the systems for poverty relief is highly satirical. To the poor people who endured them, the so-called charitable institutions were not brick-and-mortar elysiums, as promised by the parish, but rather dark prisons. People living there were provided with pitiable rations in return for long hours of backbreaking labor. In Dickens' book, Oliver's workhouse is neglectful of his care. As soon as he turns nine, he is forced to work for scraps of food. His experience was common among the orphans and abandoned children entrusted to the care of the welfare system. 
Dickens used his description of Oliver's life at the workhouse to condemn the hypocrisy of this ineffective poverty relief system. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.